Also mit der Visualization Field wird man usually in front of us, in a space above us, radiant, glowing, with his magnificent qualities, part of body and mind. Remembering the significance of the gestures, implements that he holds, and particularly thinking of him as the personification of the wisdom of all the Buddhas. Of course, wisdom of all Buddhas are completely integrated with all other positive qualities at their consummate realization level. Also bring to mind the whole lineage of masters who passed on the Buddhist teachings in general, and in particular the lineage. Of course, beginning from Buddha, but coming through Manjushri, passing down the principle of teachings, the wisdom. Lineage masters from then to the present. Think of them. Let a sense of genuine appreciation, gratitude, and hope. With our body, mind, every single cell of it, completely saturated with all appreciation, gratitude, and of course hope for transformation. Think of ourselves being surrounded by fellow sentient beings, all in human forms, yet undergoing their own respective general and specific samsaric predicaments, particularly bring attention to those presently in the lower realms, Oh, excruciating pain, suffering, almost unceasingly, they are undergoing. And that's the gross level of suffering. There's no question about other levels of deeper suffering that we all presently share with everyone. in samsara that is caught in this bondage of
birth and death and all the sufferings in between, brought about by afflictions and actions induced by them. Making of them generate a sense of affinity or being the same both, though temporarily in different positions, yet fully, equally susceptible. To exchange roles, how oh, unless and until we make efforts really seeing the samsaric condition for what it is and learn ways to get out of it. There is hardly any prospect of any betterment of the situation over the time. Also think of our dependence, each other, despite our confusion, ignorance, limitations, failings. And also think of how, despite all this, either directly or indirectly, we have been extending our helping them to each other, irrespective of whether we are aware of it or not. When we closely not a single moment passes by when we are not dependent on others. Or whatever we aspire to achieve, worldly super mundane aspirations. There is no other way but to depend on fellow sentient beings. Thinking along these lines, try to generate a sense of affinity growing into empathy, into compassion, into bodhicitta, keeping in view of one's current advantageous position. Now it will be high time to make the most of it, and the best way, the most surest way, both for the interest of oneself and others, is achieving full awakening, beginning with this aspiration of bodhicitta. Everything is in place, with our admiration, reverence, gratitude towards the married fields, as well as our love, compassion, caring, bodhicitta on behalf of all sentient beings. Let's say this homage to my Jushin together.
Let's hold the aspiration of bodhicitta in our mind. Aspiring within the state of full awakening, like Shakyamuni Buddha has done, that do for the sake of all sentient beings who desperately need guidance, direction, support, in all ways possible. to get out of samsara. By way of strengthening our motivation for this session, Nagarjuna says in his precious garden that entirety of the Buddha's teaching comes down to two purposes. One is for sentient beings to achieve rebirth. And then the second is to achieve definite goodness, which includes liberation for oneself, for the sake of others, as well as full awakening for the sake of others. And he also spells out, summarized means to achieve them. In the case of higher rebirth, he mentions Depa, which could be translated as faith, aspiration, as per someone's suggestion, conviction as well. But even if we are to stick to this word faith, it is very different then it may be commonly understood. In the Buddhist scriptures, we speak of three divisions, or three types of faith. The first one is inspired faith, or faith with an elated sense of awe, inspiration, seeing others' qualities for the benefit of it. The second one is faith rooted in conviction, that something is possible, that, that something is viable. And then the third is the faith which takes the form of not only appreciating and aspire, aspiring something, but driven by a longing to achieve it, to have it, to possess it. in all of these respects, 
it being spelled out here is not just mere naive allowance of something, but rather something that is supported by understanding, and that too progressively leading to a strong longing to achieve that quality within oneself. Now, with regard to definite goodness, be that both liberation, either liberation or liberation and full awakening, Nagarjuna, in his summary of the means which he mentions, Shiram, wisdom, And then he further goes on saying that between the two means of achieving them, wisdom is something that one's priority should go to, yet at the same time, in the ways of cultivating it, in the ways of cultivating these two summarized means, first comes this aspiration, inspiration, and longing. More particularly, in the sense of trust or confidence, conviction in the laws of, in the workings of causality in general, and in particular, that of karma with a volition agency being a very crucial part of it, leading to the resultant states of suffering joy, pain, happiness, whatever. So, keeping these in perspective, give rise to a strong sense of appreciation, value, role and place of wisdom. And now our Buddhist journey towards the full awakening ultimately, before that, the liberation, and before that, by being able to obtain precious human rebirths, or precious rebirths successively. And towards that end, we are going to spend the next over an hour of time making the most of this opportunity, furthering our pursuit, the full awakening, preceded by achieving liberation for the sake of all sentient beings. We set it by succeeding in achieving successive, uninterrupted series of precious human rebirth, so that we could achieve full awakening for the sake of sentient beings.
Yeah, first of all, I want to thank all of you who have given feedback to how to proceed on this. <laughs> and as you can imagine, as diverse as we are, the feedbacks are also quite diverse. <laughs> and uh, but at the same time, it was very helpful. In in total, it was comprehensive feedback for me to remember uh, what to be aware of and where to be uh, particularly careful about, and also things. I mean, in short to proceed sharing this with utmost mindfulness all, all along. <laughs> By the way, I wanted to share something. Yes, in the in the Adamba Masters, even before the new tradition of Tsongkhapa, came about, there were already three, three, what do you call, three groups, or three groups, or three lineages, where you group masters uh, in three groups. One is called Kadam Mengapa. Mengapa is more like a PTT instruction, PTT instruction lineage. And Kadam Dangapa is not quite extensive, but not quite that pithy, but kind of looking for a mediocre uh, volume of teachings. And then, then comes Adam Shung Baba. Shung here means treatises, those who take time in uh, studying the heavy-duty extensive treatises and build from, build their stand from there. So then there was nothing wrong in any of those ways of approaching it, except it has to be, uh, it has to resonate to one's own individual uh, type or individual uh, personality. And that's something very important for each one of us to recognize. It may evolve over time, but at the same time, at any given time, what type of group we belong to, we should be aware of that and thus be able to uh, relate to that and deliver to that. At the same time, be open to the fact that there are others of different types also, <laughs> and that I could also switch from one type to the other <laughs> over time. So that's uh, very important to keep uh, open mind too. Uh, yes, I recently came across a teaching where it's such as even in Sutra also, one may be irrespective of what path one may be, or even not making a, uh, making a case, making a point of how different paths they may be taking, even without uh, making any comment on that, saying in the Sutra, uh, the pace at which practitioners uh, move on is very different. And the Sutra gives I think one, two, three, four, five, yeah, five, five groups 
of practitioners in the Sutra itself. Uh, in Tantra, it will be a little different, but still, the difference in the pace will be there, not that dramatically different. Uh, nonetheless, in Sutra, uh, that kind of a difference is even more dramatic in that their pace has been likened to different vehicles that they are choosing to take, <laughs> to, to, to go into. The one, the first one is, of course, it is understandable. We are talking of a long time ago. So when there were no iron birds and <laughs> so it was speaking of someone taking a cattle driven vehicle to elephant-driven vehicle to the movement equal to that of the sun and moon, sun and moon, sun and moon, and then someone traveling at the moon at the speed of what our, our hearts can do through their miraculous powers and what someone could do with the miraculous powers of the Buddhas. Oh, I think it's... Yeah, I think it's Buddhas, Bodhisattvas. So, yeah, the variety in terms of so many ways is always there, and that's something to be appreciated, recognized, accepted. And at the same time, more importantly, where one falls is something to be uh, cognizant about and try to then deal, deliver to it. That's way one would be best benefited uh, by it. But at the same time, be open to the fact that there could be others who are very different. And that also, importantly, I could evolve and switch into another group. <laughs> that's important. I could be in there, I could be in there, I could be in there. Yeah. That's important. Okay, so then we'll. Uh, resume from where we left. So this time I uh, decided not to... Uh, oh yeah, actually we already have several stances left, but even if we were to have run out of them, I was not planning to give you a new in installment of spacing uh, changes, because uh, I thought it was They'll do much within a short period. And as I go on, I'll be, so you will be using the, the original full translation, looking at that, and I'll be also looking at it in my web file form, where I will be uh, making my own suggestive changes and letting you know, of course, uh, with not much details. And then at the end of at the end of this uh, sharing on this ninth chapter, uh, which will be I don't know how long <laughs> from now, I'll be happy to then share my track changed copy, which will be then easy to make a clean copy and the track changed copy both of them for people to then study deeper. Okay, so last time I took time in 
making this point that uh, in the scriptures you will come across different ways of grouping these philosophical schools or philosophical um, stances. And it's important to remember them. I was saying that of the four philosophical schools, uh, the last, the bottom two, namely the Vaibhashika and Sautantrikas, are called Chityun Tembaramava. Usually translated as realists. I think that's what the translation here also uses it sometimes. Yeah, it does. So by realist, they mean uh, the Sautantrika and the Vaibhashika. And our definition for that would be someone who yeah, someone who advocates not only that there is an external thing outside of the mind, outside of the mind in the sense that things are not mere mere projection of the mind to the extent of being simultaneous with their with their corresponding objects. That's what the position of the Chittamatras are, right? They say they think of the world in a very idealistic way, to the extent of saying that everything that we see is simultaneous to the seer mind, and that the seer mind, seeing mind and the seen object they both come from one substantial cause. When that substantial cause is uh, activated or it ripens, that's when it gives rise to both the object and the subject in an appearance, appearance of being different, but they are all connected. So that's how there is no external world, external world out there. So the realist, our definition for the realist will be those who advocate that there is the things are not like what the Chitta Matrins say, but things are not only not just mere projection of the mind, they are out there, and out there in a very true sense. So those who advocate truly existent external phenomena are called realists in our definition. So that's important to remember. So that excludes all the rest of the four um, four philosophical schools. This this realist school group it includes just the Vaibhashika and Sautantrika. So it includes it excludes Chittamatra and it excludes Madhyamika. Both Sautantrika Madhyamika and Vasavika Madhyamika. Because either they say there is no external object or they will say even if they were to be they do not exist truly. That is important to remember. Okay, so cut short, realism, our definition is, the realists are those who advocate truly existent external phenomena. And then we spoke of another way of grouping these philosophical schools where the first three, Vaibhasaka, Sautantrika, and Chittamatra, they come together to be referred by one class. They come to be uh, called by one 
name and which is Ngamawa. Oh, oh, did I? Yeah, I think I I miss I I misspoke earlier. Yeah, realists include uh, Chitamatra also. Sorry, I take that back. <laughs> so let's first do it. The first two, the Vipassika and the Swatantrikas, they are called uh, Dhammani. Yeah, they are called Dhammani. So the definition would be same, those who advocate truly existent external phenomena, but the name we are going to give them. I think we would have to come up with something. Mm. What do they call here? Yeah, but in the translation, does it does Kishela use any term? Okay, anyway, we'll for now call them either a Buddhist reductionist or we will call them externalists. Right? And, they, and, and we reserve the term realist for this bigger group, which includes also the Chitramatra. They are called Ngobo, Ngomawa, Ngomawa, irrespective of what they think of things to be either mental projection or not. Those who advocate that things are truly existent. Those will be the realists. Things things are truly existent. Things are really true. <laughs> Let's call them. Things are really true. They are called the realists. And that excludes the Madhimikas, both Sautantrikas and the and the and the Prasangika Madhimikas. That's okay. So for now we'll make do with these labels and move from there. So one one more to um, the view, the first two schools, Vipassika and Sautantrikas, they are together called either Buddhist reductionists or Buddhist or Buddhist externalists. That externalist is closer to the Tibetan term, but we have to look if Kishina is in the translation using any other terms. And then, realist we are using, reserving it to include Chidamatra in the group. All three of them together are called realists in that they uh, advocate that things are truly real. Or, yeah, things are truly real. That means existing truly. So from here, it will be very clear that the, the Madhyamikas, irrespective of whether they are Swatantrikas or Prasangika Madhyamikas, when it comes to things being truly existent, none of them upholds it. They may say things are, they may differ in whether things are inherently existent or existing in and of themselves, existing, existing, Intrinsically, they may differ. One may say yes, other may say no within the Madhimika. 
But when it comes to true existence, or absolute existence, or ultimate existence, then there is no difference. Both of, both of the subdivisions within Madhimika, they deny it. So I think that's clear, right? So with that in mind, uh, let's move to stanza four and five, the f last two lines of stanza four and the remaining of this and stanza five. So in the original translation, it says refuting objections from the proponents of inherent existence. If you say proponents of inherent existence, then that would even include Swatantrika Madhimika also. So that's not the case here. So here it is rather the, the realists in general, which means not specific to Chittamatra, neither specific to the non-Chittamatra uh, realists, but realists in general, which applies to realists uh, in general. So that means, uh, at, what do you call, uh, critiquing the position of the realist in general. So the main issue here, of course the, the main aim is to really nail down ignorance, and really nail down the main culprit of our, of our predicament in the form of ignorance. That too, not just a, what do you call, uh, not just a, a, what do you call, hmm. not just a naive uh, recognition of ignorance, but rather really be, really kind of pinpointed uh, by sorting it through all other propositions, if you will, and uh, uh, and within that kind of really pinpointing the the ignorance, that's the ultimate ignorance. That's the main goal, because unless and until we can nail that down and recognize it and see its presence within us not just the presence within us and see the havoc the the destruction it brings of how it is the sole breeding ground for all the afflictions subtle and gross leading to their resultant uh, negative actions of the body speech and mind and then in turn leading to the sufferings both in terms of gross superficial sufferings but more importantly in terms of more in-depth uh, what do you call underlying underpinning uh, sufferings in in the form of our bondage to afflictions to, to the affliction given birth and death and all other conditions associated with it so that's the main main project here. But as a way of doing it, one is, of course, one has to face, un face uh, the alternative propositions in regard to what is ignorance, or if at all such kind of ignorance exists or not. So those have to be uh, tackled, and, and that's what is being 
done here by uh, using the model of the, the philosophical proponents. Irrespective of whether we speak in terms of philosophical proponents in this very structured, layered um, scheme or not, uh, one has to first, one has to eventually be able to locate it within oneself. And within that also, in, in doing that also, be able to really sort through it and end up in peeling it off, eventually coming to really the actual ignorance where we understand its scope, uh, measure, uh, and the and the destruction it brings, its mechanism, all of them, we, we get a clear hand on it. So, for that purpose, the the philosophical schools uh, not just limited to the Buddhists, but even uh, going beyond that into the non-Buddhist uh, propositions of how things exist or not, that has something to do with how we eventually uh, recognize the ignorance. Those are all taken into account, and they are all, uh, what do you call, critiqued here. So, in that, in this, in that respect, uh, training ourselves to think along the lines of the true truths uh, is uh, very crucial. And there too, again, we need to move uh, in progression, and thus uh, having some uh, idea of what the what the position of the at least within the Buddhist tradition. The tenet systems are with the two truths is very, uh, very helpful and crucial. As I mentioned the last time also in Chandrakirti's uh, Madhyamika Uttarana entry to the Middle Way, there also he takes time before delving into the actual problem of the ignorance in the, in, in identifying it both in the form of grasping it inherent existence of the self or the phenomena. He says, before doing that, we have to step back and look at the true truths in a more deeper way. And likewise, that's what's being uh, briefly touched on earlier. But it would be good at your, at your study times to look through tenet system, tenet book, just look at each tenet's uh, take on neutrals and kind of compare them and see in what ways they are similar, in what ways they are different, and how, and also try to see progressively refinement, progressive refinement through them by putting them in their levels. And in a way, one could do that with just about any topic that the tenets systems can take up and care to differ from one another. You begin to see the progression in there. So, if you study the tenets systems carefully, one would begin to actually see how that is a kind of a very thought-through uh, strategy in really not only 
training oneself, but also leading others in 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 training to think clearly, uh, uh, decisively, and uh, yeah, think 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 clearly, decisively, and uh, backed up by reasonings and logic. And that too, uh, in sync with our own experience. So that's it. We come to the yeah earlier yeah earlier in the in the third stanza there was this mention of the two types of beings: yogis and common people either yogis and ordinary people, or yogis and common people. Here, common is not the ordinary common people, but rather less than the yogis that we have identified here, who have gotten clear understanding of the emptiness. Not only that, have even reached a meditative state of equipoise on that, and all the rest of them, in whatever ways they may be sophisticated, but those do not count so long as their take on the truth falls short of because they are all included in the so-called common people or ordinary people here. That's one way of understanding it. Uh, but as I said uh, last time, this, this identification of uh, yogis and common people could be seen in that kind of a set group, well, or it could be seen as something shifting with any with particular context. Whoever is, whoever has the upper hand in understanding would be yogis in comparison with the other one, and they may shift, shift roles within different contexts. So anyway, there the, men, the reference to yogis and common people has to do with uh, those who are thinking of thinking along the two truths, which which means which naturally means thinking little beyond the immediate needs, and they may differ in their range of how far they want, how far off they want to think, uh, but nonetheless, someone who are not just engrossed with the immediate needs, very similar to the animals, uh, with very very limited. Uh, vision into the future, not like that. So those who think little beyond that and think of larger, bigger uh, questions and bigger issues, right? For them, uh, it would be natural to think of the world system in these uh, categories of one's relatively superficial, the other deeper, one relatively stable, the other not so much, etc., etc. They would have ways of de developing them, ways of thinking through those lenses. And eventually, uh, with the aim or the hope of them kind of having a direct bearing on one's own respects uh, of joy and happiness and the possibility of mitigating suffering. So that's what the reference was uh, to them in conjunction with 
our topic on the two truths. So a brief, brief introduction, brief kind of inkling has been already dropped there in terms of which direction we are going. Um, but in that respect, the, uh, the author, Shantideva, uh, wants to kind of proceed along this in a very uh, systematic and step-by-step uh, -step way. So in that respect, he first addresses uh, this initial issue of where the difference lies, why the difference lies, what does that difference look like, by, uh, by, uh, by critiquing the positions of the realists in general. So the realists who are proponents of true existence, right? So there, as, as, as one would naturally see in one's own individual case also, when we, particularly I remember very clearly in my days of studying Madhyamika, which we do in the monasteries for three years. And I used to think, what is the problem here? There doesn't seem to be any problem here. Things must exist the way they do. They cannot, otherwise they cannot. There's no other way for them to exist. And they are very distinct, very characteristics, uniquely characteristics, different, but not. They must have uh, something to account for them. And that should not be a problem. Other than that, there's no such thing as things being truly existent, inherently existent. So whole, the whole, this whole uh, dialogue back and forth in saying this and that doesn't seem to have any, mm -hmm. any, any, any really real bearing in the real world. It's just a philosophical play. But then uh, part of my mind was saying, no, this cannot be the way Nagarjuna and others really mean serious things. <laughs> and thus there must be something. So I kept uh, pushing, pushing. I mean, eventually, slowly, gradually, I did begin to see some difference particularly when you are presented the different positions and how they critique each other. In the midst of that critiquing, then the differences become, the subtle differences become apparent. So, so that's why, uh, that's why uh, be, so that's why brace for uh, such occasions of what in the world is going on here <laughs> to eventual ah okay maybe that but what <laughs> you have something today and the next day what was it there wasn't anything so back that would be happening there so that's how we will begin to see this dialogue among the so-called philosophical schools and the proponents of them actually uh, could be taking place within ourselves, because we, 
we have a very, very strong base of the realists. <laughs> no, no doubt about it. We have a very, very strong base of the realists saying, yes, things have got to be, got things, things are functional in the way that others are not. And thus, they must have individual kind of a stable base for their difference. And what else would it be if they didn't have a true difference, true uh, line of difference among them? So unless we have very strong training basis from the before, from life before, uh, we would be really beginning with such a very strong base of uh, realists to begin with, and that's what uh, we have to address, look at, and, and keep checking back. So, in these two lines from stanza four that we briefly touched last time, by means of examples accepted by both, em by, by means of examples accepted by both, emptiness is established. Unanalyzed, tech practitioners engage in trainings for the sake of the results. Here, the the realists are saying. There is no problem with there is no problem with how things exist. It must be the way we understand it, and thus what you prasangikamadhimikas are bringing forth in terms of things lacking inherent existence, things lacking any uh, true existence, is a complete baloney. Right? It's a complete baloney thing, no bearing whatsoever in reality. So it says that the so-called emptiness is totally in existence. The so-called lack of inherent existence on things is totally unacceptable, totally uh, not true. And saying that even if it were to be true, right? even if it were to be true, there would be no way you could establish it. There would be no way you could rationally establish it. So those are the uh, acquisitions uh, presented by the realists beforehand, and to which the to which the prasangikamadhimikas are addressing by these lines, by means of examples accepted by both, in, by means of examples accepted by both, both here, both realists and non-realists, emptiness is established. It's saying that emptiness or the lack of inherent existence that we are bringing on the table is not only something that's real, that is existing, but it can also be established. In a way, both of these acquisitions are being addressed by this first line, by means of examples accepted by both, both the realists and the non-realists emptiness is established, or emptiness can be established. So when you say emptiness is established, or is, can be established, it's already taken into account that yes, it is not a baloney, it is a real thing, and that it can also be proven. So both of these acquisitions are being addressed by this single line. 
And it does so by referring to the examples, the common examples that we can work from. Common examples are examples of the 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 common examples of the disparity between appearance and existence that both these groups of Senate holders agree to, such as magicians, creation, or the reflection in the mirror, the reflection of moon in the in in the water, etc., etc. So several of these examples that not just Buddhists but even non-Buddhists, so long as they are philosophers, thinkers, or not, just about everyone all over the world can come up with these examples and make use of them. They may be using them in one in different ways, but nonetheless, all of them agree to the fact that there is a disparity between how things appear and how things exist at least on superficial level, on, on more grosser uh, levels. And for that, they use these examples for everyday life. Like those in living in the desert, uh, they would use this example of the mirage, that, they, that, that is almost like a daily, daily happening, daily occurrence uh, that they encounter every, every day. Likewise, uh, depending on where one happens to be living. There will be so many examples uh, in everyday life of how there is a disparity, a disconnection between how things appear and how things exist. So between us, the realist and the non-realist, we have such examples common to both of us. Both of us accept these examples to be true and these examples to be reflective of the fact that there's a double standard between how things appear, how things exist, and on that basis we can make we can we can progress on this journey of uh, journey of uh, establishing uh, this uh, standard that we are taking the Prasangika Madhyamika is taking the things lack thoroughly the things thoroughly lack inherent existence true existence. So when when it is referring to the examples of this in incongruence incongruency between how they appear, how they do not exist, that itself is a first shock to their claim if they were to think really carefully to, to their claim that things have true existence, things truly exist. If things really truly exist, then if one were to kind of uh, really think through it, that would mean that things do not, things exist on their own, they are self-supportive, self-sufficient, and thus are not dictated by causes and conditions external to them. And But at the same time, saying that they represent this incongruency between how things appear and how things exist, then that itself is a, is a contradiction in them. And that proves that, yes, something like something like emptiness, which ultimately uh, is the very basis for 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 this fact of how things appear one way and exist another way, how things are thoroughly thoroughly dependent and contingent on others, 
with no, not the slightest tinge of any intrinsicality about them. Uh, it's, 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 it's the first shock against the, the realist, but they may not see it that way. For them, the very fact that things are dependent and are functional in the way they are, the very fact that things are dependent and thus are capable of functioning, operating in their unique way, itself is a reasoning for things having true existence. And they are really kind of, uh, uh, what do you call, they're really sunk in in it, whereas that is a, a, a contradiction in their stand right then and they are not that they're able to see it. And then saying that these examples are there, the fact that these examples themselves are there, they, this means that the examples themselves are not truly existent. And then by making comparison, drawing comparison from, uh, from these examples to other phenomena, that's clear indication that you are pointing towards uh, what we are saying, things like, things like, oh, in, in existence. And then saying that by use of these examples, we can make our way, work our way through to establishing uh, things like true existence. And then the 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 uh, realists. Uh, I mean, here we could think of ourselves as realists uh, if we are if we are more compatible with their stand of things being what they are, almost to the point of pointable, right? Things being pointable there. Yeah. Then it would be good to think ourselves uh, as siding with them realists, and then uh, defending our position. So the next way the, the realists defend their position is uh, how come that uh, how come that there is this uh, world of conventions outside? Right? How come that there is this world of conventions outside that 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 things are are very distinct from each other, not just in the shape, form, appearance, but in what they can deliver in terms of functions. And those functions they deliver in such a way that only they are capable of, others are not. Even if others may share in their capability, there's this uniqueness to each one of them. And so it points to the reality of all of this. Whereas we are saying everything irrespective lacks inherent existence. And to us, to us realists, when you say things do not exist inherently or like truly, that's equal to saying that things do not exist at all. Because if things exist, they must exist in, in, in a true sense, because they are existing in a way uh, that is kind of really uh, supportive of this position, because they they have this uh, individual functionalities, individual capacities, and they kind of stand their ground, and they play their role in the mix of mixture of things, and without them it would impact the result, etc. So all of this uh, seem to support that things must have a true existence. So the Prasangika Madhimikas are saying, well, 
I do accept that they are conventional, they are different, they are functional, they are diversity, all of this. But that is only true in the face of an unanalyzed, when we do not analyze their ultimate nature, then we are, then we can affirm to their diversity, affirm to their diverse functionality, but not. And when, when we zoom in and analyze their actual nature, none of them will be that palpable and findable. So it is, so the Pasvanga Madhavikasa right away making inroad in making, in shaking the crown of the realist, saying that only when unanalyzed, when we leave things unanalyzed, then yes, things are there and functioning the way they are, with all these differences and making difference that they do. But the moment we seem to then affirm that they have their own individual uh, identity, uh, almost to the point of being palpable and quantible and uh, kind of really uh, kind of where we can really land, land on something uh, to, to account for what they are, to account for these individual things. But in reality, the moment we begin to analyze them beyond mere conventionality of the uh, temporary, uh, in a way, temporary uh, formations of them, do merely, do merely and thoroughly uh, to the different causes and conditions. The moment we begin to analyze them, then none of them will hold the ground. None of them will be able to withstand their uh, analysis, and will give in. Uh, to the analysis, to the point that none of them can be uh, findable, palpable, and, and pointable. So it's only when we do not analyze that uh, things are capable uh, of producing their results. And here, more particularly, results in line with uh, what the practitioners do. Say, it's basically the training of the, the 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 realists are saying that if things were to be uh, totally lack of inherent existence, then how do you make the case for such practices as generosity and others resulting in full awakening? How does how does such a uh, working of causality happen? Because in what you are saying, it almost seems like saying there's no cause. If there's no cause, then how could there be a result thereof? It's when you say that things do not exist inherently, including the act of generosity, the, the act of generosity and the and the uh, aspects uh, aspects present in there, it's almost equal to saying that there's no 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 act of generosity at all if they are lacking inherent existence, and if that is the case. And how does that lead to a state of full awakening? Because in the first place, the cause is not there. So the so the Prasangika Madhimika is saying that when we speak of cause and effect of doing this, leading to this, of going there, being able to do this and whatnot, we are doing that not from from the perspective of analyzing things and getting to. Uh, analyzing things and and uh, defining them 
within that perspective of analysis and and making the distinction because if we were to do so uh, there wouldn't be any such distinction any such uh, distinction between things any such functionality embedded in those things uh, but rather when we move about in our life be that even pursuing spiritual paths and going about our world and getting things and whatnot we're doing that uh, but dropping down our 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 uh, our uh, what do you call mm. by 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 not analyzing things by by not analyzing things in the ultimate sense so we do dropping down our uh, if you wish, if you will the arms of analysis, arms of uh, Madhamika analysis, ultimate analysis. We're not doing that. Uh, instead, we're just going by the mere conventionality of things, and within that, uh, everything uh, falls in place in terms of cause and effect, and there will be the causal relations and all of these will be there. And that's the way to go about, even pursuing uh, full awakening also, in terms of engaging in, and uh, engaging in uh, generosity and whatnot, we could be bringing in the Amademika understanding angle in seeing things like inherent existence, but that doesn't have to negate the reality of things. Because the reality of things is merely contingent on, merely dependent on things being, uh, what do you call, softly dependent on things, rather than having any intrinsic uh, findable identity of their own holding their place uh, in that sense, then in that sense, so is none of that. And thus, even if we bring in the, the angle of analysis and kind of see things in the uh, in the perspective of lacking inherent existence, uh, if we understand it properly, uh, that should not be harming the conventionality of things. We could be upholding it even stronger. And in the case of those who are not not trained, not uh, sophisticated enough in thinking along the Madhimika perspective, we don't have to worry about how, whether things uh, whether things really exist or not, because if they are not findable in in the, uh, in the ultimate analysis, because things are nonetheless still functional uh, when we approach them in an unanalyzed, uh, conventionally upholding a perspective. So this this part about unanalyzed the practitioners engaged, what about when they analyze they cannot practice? So such things will happen. That's the reason why I brought up the angle of someone like a Mademika pursuing the practice. They could as well be pursuing it because for them things are conventionally true. And on the basis of that, things are conventional, functional in the unique ways that they are, and thus uh, can dealing with them in appropriately, one could then gain the result. But nonetheless, one should not have, one doesn't have to be stuck in believing that they have true existence, because that would be limiting in one's perspective in seeing the reality, as well as limiting in terms of how much. Uh, how much that how uh, how much that that action of engaging in a particular practice can deliver uh, so uh, so that is still possible and there too 
when they engage in the conventionalities or engage in the practice, but not, uh, they could be doing that uh, by not harming the conventionality of things, even if they may bring in the perspective of Madhimika. But those who uh, do not yet have that, one could still be engaged in the practices, in the practices, in going about the world, uh, because one would nonetheless be uh, able to do so uh, without harming the unanalyzed, conventional nature of things. So that's that's how they make this uh, they make this inroad in, in kind of having a dialogue and having kind of sitting together and kind of having a dialogue, begin to listen to each other rather than just leave. <laughs> beginning with a common example. So this, these two lines is very compact. The first line means one thing, the second line means another thing. So that's very important. By means of examples accepted by both the realist and non-realist, this topic of emptiness that I'm bringing in can be established. So when it can be established, that also establishes that it is real, it is existent, and that it can be even established. Because we have these common examples of incongruency between disparity between appearance and existence. Because for for us, for us, uh, for the person Gagamatas, we guess would be saying, for us, just the very fact that there is this incongruency, disparity between appearance, is itself uh, very indicative of the underlying fact of things being totally, totally contingent and mere dependent with no intrinsic true existence of their own at all. And then when they bring up the fact of how the teachings themselves uh, speak of practices of morality, etc., six perfections, with the aim of achieving full awakening, uh, when they bring that up and saying how uh, that might be in problem, the Prasanga Madhimika is saying that when in 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 our daily life, when we go about things, we go about things by not questioning things in the ultimate sense. If we were to do so uh, and take it so seriously as 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 one thing with conventionality, then we will not be able to go about our life. Uh, rather, when we go about our life, uh, irrespective of whether we are able to think from ultimate perspective or not, we should not be, or we do not have to harm the conventional reality of things. And and there, the mere conventionality of things is is as, as pertinent and as, uh, yeah, as pertinent and as viable uh, by mere fact of being thoroughly dependent. Thus, in the, in the face of it, uh, thus, thus just within that, uh, within that, uh, reality of things being functional, but merely thoroughly being by being contingent on each other, with no uh, intrinsic uh, findable uh, essence of, of their own. Uh, yeah, we would be uh, we uh, we will be able to even situate the things lacking any intrinsic existence because of the fact that they are merely contingent. So, so when we go about things in our daily life, uh, we we do so by by accepting their conventional face value, 
based on that, we can go about our life. And likewise, we can do real things in such as practicing and engaging in the practices and attain the results. And then it further clarifies the point by saying, the common world sees functional things and conceives them to be truly existent, not like an illusion. In this regard, there is dispute between yogis and the common world. So this common world, uh, or the common people, or the world of common people, uh, this could be uh, taken as referring to the realists themselves, saying the realists see functional things and conceive them to be truly existent. So you say that, uh, so the Prasanga Madhmikas are saying that the reason why we have, they're saying that there is no problem. There shouldn't be any, any, disagreement between us, because you could be, the, the, the realist is saying to the Prasangya Madhimikas, that you should be accepting that things are functional. Things are functional in the way they are, and that we are not mistaken in that respect. And that's what we call true existence. And you should not be, there's no way you could be, you could be uh, critiquing that you could be denying that. If you do not deny that, then you are accepting that things are truly existent, because that is true existence, because they exist and function the way they do. So they lump the two together, existence and true existence together, because they cannot think of any other way outside of it. But for them, things to exist and function and affect and matter the way they do is good enough to think of them as being truly existent. And that is not just semantic. For them, the very fact that they are different and functional in the way they are is indicated, indicative of some kind of an intrinsic capacity with them, some kind of intrinsic essence in them that makes them, they, that makes them uh, capable of doing that. They just cannot think outside of it, think, think otherwise. So they lump existence with true existence. If things exist, they must truly exist because of their making difference. They're being different from other each other in so many ways. They kind of uh, assert their true existence, their their individuality. Of course, things are uh, individual and functional and separate the way they are. But from Buddhist, from the Prasangika Madhyamika perspective, their differences solely, thoroughly dependent on mere contingency, with no intrinsic, pointable essence of anything whatsoever. But they are not, the, so the realists are not there yet. For them, things being different the way they are, is, and functional the way they are in so many different ways, thus making real difference in the real world, uh, is enough uh, to make them think that things must have a true existence. And not not just merely thoroughly dependent on causes conditions with no intrinsic identity of their own, and let alone, let alone they are being mere designated with lacking any intrinsic identity of their own. They are still farther away from that. So the Prasangika Madhimikas are pointing out that the reason why we differ, why we have this, this disagreement here, is not because I deny or we deny 
the reality of things, or we deny the conventionality, conventional reality of things, we deny the functionality of things, we deny the uh, accuracy of our 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 apprehension of things, uh, as, as as you pointed out. But deep down, there is a difference in in in, in how we uh, see things or how, what we see things to be. Uh, what what we see as responsible, as embedded in things that is responsible for their individuality, because you conceive things to be truly existence, not like illusion. Whereas we do, Prasangika see everything as like illusion, but you do not see as illusion like. You only see illusion as illusion, but not others as illusion like. <laughs> But even in illusion also you see a true illusion there, true existently, truly existent illusion there, which is illusion like no other things. So illusion wise they are truly illusion. <laughs> and and so uh, they do not see any other things like illusion, uh, whereas we do everything as illusion without having to deny the fact of their reality of their uh, conventional functionality. So in this regard, there is dispute between yogis and the world. So, so, yeah, as much as there is this this actual debate actually initiated uh, in this in this, uh, as much as it is presented like there is an actual in debate already initiated here in this uh, stanza, even. By the way, we outlined it by saying, refuting the existence, refuting the non-existence of irrelevance of impermanence, uh, irrelevance of emptiness. As much as it seems like there is an actual debate having started, here in this particular six lines, what is being laid out more clearly is the, the source of the disagreement. The source of the disagreement is being brought up here. We do not dispute the real. We do not dispute the existence of things. We do not dispute the functional nature of things, in their differences, diversity, capacity, functionality, etc. We do not dispute uh, that um, that the the uh, sense consciousnesses and our consciousnesses that apprehend things are 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 unmistaken to a certain extent, to an extent that the, uh, that the realists accept. But what we differ is deep down, what do we hold there to be? What do we hold to be responsible for all those possibilities? Either, uh, what do you call, uh, imputing, either holding some kind of an intrinsic uh, essence to be responsible for that, or in the in the in the lack of that, uh, in the yeah in 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 the lack of that, uh, within the lack of that, uh, being able to uh, account that account that uh, on mere conventionality. So that's that's the that's the foundation or the uh, reason for our disagreement. Not on these uh, superficial uh, levels that you brought up.
So that's so in a way these six lines are pointing out uh, that that pointing out what the source of the difference is. So now we have to begin to think uh, what is there uh, other than what is there to be uh, refuted in in the form of intrinsic existence other than refuting other than ending up refuting the, the thing itself. How is there a difference between things existing but not inherently so? Things not existing in an inherent way, but nonetheless still existing and not just existing, making a real difference among in real difference in the world. How uh, in the midst of that, in between this uh, distinction, we can really uh, uh, proceed on our mission, on our journey of mitigating sufferings and uh, accumulating uh, sources or causes of joy and happiness, including full awakening. So that's what we have to uh, what we have to sort through in in the course of this dialogue that we seem to be watching happening out there, but kind of taken in and let that dialogue happen within us to these sides. <laughs> Between the two wolves between the two wolves in our in ourselves. <laughs> okay, I think, uh, sorry, I didn't leave any uh, time for question and answer, but we definitely have time. <laughs> okay. <laughs>